Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Osher Ginsberg podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. How surprising. This is a weekly conversation where I have a chat with someone that I find interesting, entertaining and inspiring and I certainly hope that you do too. If you like what I'm doing here, if you don't like what I'm doing here, feedback, come on, I love it. So, um, subscribe on iTunes, leave your comments, tell me you like it, tell me you don't like it, tell your mates you don't like it. I am making this for you, so I want to make it the best show I can. Anyway, for more information about this podcast, have a look at osherginsberg.com. Follow me on Twitter at osherginsberg. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening before I get my Steve Britton on. Just a bit of background about my guest today. For 10 years, I lived at Bondi Beach in Sydney, Australia. It's one of the most iconic beaches in Australia, if not the world. And on a hot summer's day, there can be 40 to 50,000 people in the sand. And at any one time, probably five to 10,000 of them in the water. There is an elite group of watermen of professional lifeguards that look out over all these people. And on a hot summer's day, they can pull 200 to 250 people out of the water. That's a lot of lives getting saved. Um, their incredible day job got turned into an equally incredible television show called Bondi Rescue. I had the great fortune of narrating seven seasons of this show, which went on to win many awards. And today we speak with one of these guys. He's as much of a bronze dozzy as you could ever picture one. He's a great bloke. I can't wait for you to meet him. Let's go. My guest today is Andrew Reed. You'd know him as Reedy. He's a professional lifeguard at Bondi Beach in Sydney, Australia. He's a garbage man and he is an elite triathlete. Today, we discover our similar paths from fatness to fitness, how an 82-year-old man helped him get started in triathlon, how being a star on the mega-hit Bondi Rescue helps when meeting Facebook randoms at Maccas in Manchester, and what it's like to bring a dead person back to life. Let's do it.
as the cockatoos cry out at the end of the day here in Bondo Beach. Uh, Andrew Reid. Reedy, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I've had a big day. You have had a big day because uh, by the time this airs, uh, you've already already gone, been and gone, but you just had the very first day of your lifeguard season today, which is the day that you and the other lifeguards here at Bondo Beach prove that you're fit enough Pretty much, yeah. For the for the season ahead, yeah. Which is a, a, a fairly trying physical exertion. Uh, yeah, today today was a, a very different um, because in the last five years we haven't um, we haven't um, advertised any jobs. So today was very different because there was one job going and we had twelve applicants turn up. Yeah, and and so there was two different M shape courses. There was an M shape for the older guys and there was an M shape for the guys going for the job. And I thought I'm not going for a job, but I'd like to test myself. So I went in with the fast guys, and I'm pretty fit at the moment. I came second against one of the young kids. It's about eighteen. He swims probably nine minutes for the eight hundred, which is flying. That's like wow. I think the Olympians do it in eight, so he's not that bad. Amazing. So we'll talk about all this later on, and yeah. also we'll talk about the fact why you're so fit right now. You're prepping <laughs> for the world seventy point three, is yeah, that right? Yeah, in Las Vegas, yeah. which would have happened by the time this has gone to air. So there's a lot of talk about that. I really want to talk to you today about how you got into lifeguarding, um, your life as a lifeguard, and and watching your transition from that into how triathlon came into your life has been really interesting. So I can't wait, to, I can't wait to talk about that. But I, I want to start with this. Like you and I have this in common and that we were both fat kids. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's a lot of us. But you can laugh about it. Mine, I was really traumatized. I'm still traumatized really? by, by have been, having been a fat kid. What was your experience? Oh, mate, I, I think that I kind of, I look back on it now and I, I kind of like the fact that what it's made me. I think I wouldn't be the person I am today without it. It's made me kind of, especially hand a, handle a, a, a area, a, a situation like the lifeguards. You've got to have thick skin to work down there. I mean, you're working with 36 macho guys. And I think that if I hadn't have been a fat kid, I don't know how I would have handled sort of certain situations later on in life. And um, yeah, it's- How fat are we talking and for how long? Ah, uh, so do you want to know the start from how yeah. it all started? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So I used to be a really good swimmer with my sisters. Like we were swim training five in the morning. Dude, two we sessions have so much a day. in common. I was the same. Yeah. And I, well, I, well, I became mates with this kid at swimming training and, um, and he was quite wealthy. His parents lived in a big house in Double Bay. And, and one day he said, you know, do you want to come back and hang out at my place after swimming training? And I was like, yeah, no worries. And uh, so I went back to his place and his mum, 50 bucks. Get in the shop and buy yourself some lollies. This is like 50, 50 bucks. Like, you know, like, I mean, red frogs were like three cents, I think. You know what I mean? Redskins were 10 cents. And like, so you can imagine the lollies we could buy for 50 bucks. From, a, from about the age of, I think it was, oh, I couldn't be exact, but it was like between 10 and 12, I put on a, I, I got up to a hundred kilos. Like I was, 12, you were a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, just over this six month time and I just hated swimming and, you know, once, as soon as the weight started to come on, swimming was harder and I just sort of gave it up and yeah. So I probably spent, oh, the best part of my teenage years is this overweight kid and, uh, going from a kid with a six pack couple of sisters that were good swimmers you know like we were going to be this whole big good my, both my sisters went to the pan pacific games wow. and i just ended up being the black sheep like i got fat and yeah and and I, that, I can't believe the similarities there's photos of me unfortunately they got dest- destroyed in the floods in brisbane in 2011 but there was a oh, photo really? of me okay at eight wow a seven there's a photo yeah. of me at seven on standing on bondi beach with a six-pack dead set yeah yeah and then how big down. did you get 
I was in Weight Watchers by the time I was eight. Are you serious? Yeah. Wow. Weight Watchers. Weight Watchers AA for fat people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in Weight Watchers <laughs> when I was when I was eight years old. Mate, yeah. And then I just struggled with it my whole life, just compulsive eating and emotional eating. And wow. Okay. I topped out at 112, but I was 17 by then. I think I got to the ton probably around about 15 or 16. And you though. wouldn't be much taller than me. I'm 5'10 on a really good yeah, day. Yeah, okay. Yeah, right. Okay. On an excellent day, I'm 5'10. Yeah. See, that's that's big, 112. That's I was massive. 17 though, so okay. I wasn't quite, that was not 100 at 12 years old like you were. That is heavy. That is no, heavy. no. Oh, I, yeah, probably 13, 14. Did it become something that you were embarrassed about? Were you ashamed of it? 100%, yeah. I mean, I and that, I kind of, well, if I go into my past, like I mean, I and I'm happy to talk about it, I kind of fell in with the bad crowd. At when I was about 14, and this is part of the reason why I got kicked out of Waverley College, I kind of started smoking pot. Um, I did some bad things and I was stealing money from my mom and I kind of, that was kind of my escape and the, the people that I hung out with, they kind of accepted me for who I was. So they were the bad kids. I was happy to go so along with it. they didn't bully you? No, no, no. I got wow. bullied badly at Waverley. Yeah, yeah right. I remember, oh, I can tell you a story. Well, we went to similar schools because I went to an all-boys school. I'm assuming Waverley's an all-boys school. It is an all-boys school, but where I got bullied, Waverley's very close with St. Clair's. And so oh there God, were Waverley College. We were a brother's school to Waverley from yeah, Brisbane. Yeah, right. St. Okay. Joseph's in Brisbane. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So Wow, this is all very <laughs> full on, Reedy. Yeah. Um so St. Clair's, uh, we, there was sort of a, a clique of boys and a clique of girls, and um one of the girls had a holiday farm. Um it was out out in the sticks. And we uh the, the eight of us boys and eight of us girl eight of the girls went out to this holiday place. And you're thinking eighties teen movie, yeah, here we go. Goodbye, virginity. <laughs> I could get lucky. Yeah, right. Anyway, the probably the absolute opposite happened. It was everyone was sitting around and they decided to pick on the fat kid. Oh, and they spent probably two and a half hours trying to um trying to think of probably the harshest uh, they ended up coming up with this name it was Sagas the Butcher and I'll have another leg of lamb read which stood for saggy ass double chin and I, I ended up getting picked up from that that place by my parents at about 12 o'clock at night in tears you called and said get me out of here I said oh, I just wanted to go yeah I remember I, mean, I was, evac you're calling in the yeah room. wow that's heavy yeah man. I think I got the parents to call because I mean we didn't have mobile phones back then it was yeah. so long ago but um but that was probably one of the harshest times I mean I copped it a lot at school at Waverley yeah um, the irony of it is, which, but I mean, it made me tough. I don't, I don't regret any of it. I mean, I would have loved to have had a different path, but I think I look now and probably my older sister's quite overweight. My younger sister is, is okay. And now I'm probably the fittest I've ever been. I mean, yeah. would my life be the same now? I don't know. I don't regret anything it's because just, I love my life. Same with me, man. I went to my 10 year high school anniversary, high school reunion, my yeah. 10th uh, reunion. And I yeah. remember like how, how fat I was when I left and I went to a big rugby school mm. and Picked on a lot, got beaten up, got bullied. It was awful. Yeah. It was really, really horrible. Yeah. And, and, I, and I got really quite deeply scarred by it. I was really a lot of shame about my body. And I yeah. felt so horrid when I looked at myself in the mirror and it was yuck. Anyway, yeah. I walk into my high school reunion. I'm going to say 95% of those guys that used to bully me, it was just like bottom lip, chest. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just chin and neck weren't yeah. even in the picture. Right. They just stopped the rugby but kept wow. up the drinking and they were just fat bastards. Yes. The, the guy that I was telling you about that gave me that nickname, it was one of the ringleaders at that place. I now work with him as a Garbo at Waverley Council and he's probably, he'd be 140 kilos. He's a really good guy, you know, and I don't hate him or anything. I don't, you know, I don't dislike him. Um, I kind of feel sorry for him. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Like, I just, 
I, I couldn't be happier with my life right it's now. Amazing, I wouldn't man. change anything for the world. And know? so when did the when did the weight come off for you? Funny story again. I was about, oh, I think it was 17 or 18. I had a crush on this girl. I shouldn't give names. We are up in the park in Dover Heights watching the fireworks. Now, I've got to say, this is a beautiful view of the eastern suburb of Sydney, watching, looking straight down the straight harbour. Straight down the harbour. Straight at the bridge. Yeah. Incredible. One of the most incredible vistas in the world. Amazing. Romantic, does, to does say the, the least. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you'd call um, Sub-Zero drinking in a park as a teenager wearing an Adidas jumper romantic. But... Sub-Zero is an alcohol <laughs> pop. I think it was like vodka or yeah. white wine and lemonade. Yeah. It was horrendous. It was horrendous. Early 90s. The hangovers were oh, terrible. Oh, God, I remember it. Oh, oh God. But yeah, so, and I've gone in for the kiss, 12 o'clock, thinking I'm going to get lucky. This is New Year's Eve? Yeah, New Year's Eve. Fireworks, Harbour Bridge has just gone berserk, you know, there's colours everywhere and um, she uh, she knocks me down, shuts me down, says, no, nah, no way in hell, you're dreaming. And I was like, oh, I couldn't believe it, I was shattered. Like I had a crush on this girl for like six months. Yeah. I thought I was going to get lucky. And um, Anyway, so I pretty much spent the next six to eight months of my life um, training, going, I'm going to get her. And then you wouldn't believe it the following New Year's Eve, kissed her. So, so wow, that's in, that's in – now, hang on. Yeah. What kind of training? How, obviously, you had to – you would have had to educate yourself about what to eat, what to what to do. Like, what happened? I, my parents have always been about common sense. They're big on common sense, you know. And I, I just kind of took little, like I kind of watched stuff and I kind of took tips on things. And I don't know, I just, like you said, I educated myself. And basically, we've got a block. It's about, from our house, um, a little bit of a downhill, a little bit of an uphill, but it's about a kilometre the whole way around. I just... I got up in the morning and I, I think it was the, well, probably a few days later I got up and I started walk, I walked around it and then I limited myself to a very light breakfast. I had a sandwich for lunch and I ate whatever mum and dad cooked for dinner. Um, and then I slowly started, like I'd jog a little bit and walk the rest. Jog a little bit more, walk the rest. And that went on for six months until I was doing it noon and night and I was running it both times. And then that's when I think that's where my love for running came because I never used to run. I was never a runner, it's, swimmer. It's blowing my mind how exactly <laughs> the same our stories are. Yeah. I didn't kiss a girl. So <laughs> our story is the same. I was – I got to be like 19. I was unemployed. Yeah. And I'm like 105, just hating myself because I was unemployed. My self-esteem's yeah. through the floor. I'm fat. It was the worst. And so I just started walking. I just started walking around the block. Yeah. And I'd walk for hours. And then one day I ran. Honestly, I ran the distance of two telephone poles. Yeah. However far apart that was. Yeah. That's how far I could possibly run. Yeah. And then I was like, whoa. And then I walked the rest of the way. And the wow. next day I ran another telephone pole. Yeah. And then- event- That's the- Oh my God. That was it. That's crazy. And then eventually I was running- and I, but that I was nineteen, and when your metabolism is firing like yeah, that, and oh, I started yeah. eating a lot cleaner as well. Yeah, I dropped something like t- I dropped from one hundred and three hundred and five to seventy seven. Wow! In something like two and a half or three months. That's unbelievable. Like, fast. Yeah, it's quick. It happens quick. When people look at you and like, yeah, and people are like, that was puppy fat, and I'm like, mate, I don't have a hundred, I don't have forty kilos of puppy fat because I mean now I weigh sixty eight. <laughs> yeah, right. Wow. Yeah, so. that, that's amazing. And yeah, that's where I never ran before, and that was when yeah. my that's where running. Yeah. For me, exercise suddenly became something that freed me, made yep. me feel good about myself, and it wasn't something that an angry man with a beard was blown 
blowing a whistle <laughs> making me do. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. Know? And, and it, you can think a lot when you run, I think. I love it. Yeah. Man. I love it. I've stopped. I haven't run with an iPod for years. No. I just, just out there with my thoughts. We'll, we'll get to that. So um, that's amazing. What a transformation. Yeah. And yeah. that you found that in your, in your adult life. Because I always used to be really jealous of, you know, jealous is the word. I, I coveted in a biblical sense guys that were really fit from the age of 11, 12, 13 and had you know, zero body fat when they yeah. went through their teenage years. Yeah. Because I battle it, man. I battle it. I look sideways at a piece of vegan chocolate and I get <laughs> my love handles expand. Yeah, right. Still. <laughs> I know what you mean. It's, it's, um, it's full on. And so, uh, so what, so you did high school, did you, did you finish high school? Yeah, I, I finished uh, year 12 um, and then I ended up, I ended up at Pizza Hut, I think. I mean, I lost a lot of the weight, but I didn't shape my body. I, uh-huh. I, I mean, I got skinny, not super skinny, but I dropped a lot of the majority of the weight. I ended up working at Pizza Hut with a few of my buddies, and that was very fun six-month experience. Like, they, I ended up getting promoted to shift supervisor, and it was me and my buddies running the store on a Saturday night. I think we got the delivery time to two hours one night. <laughs> like, that's like managers weren't supposed to leave a shift supervisor, an 18-year-old shift supervisor in there managing the store, but this guy ended up getting fired, and, and uh, we had a lot of fun, put it that way. You know, like you think, six dudes, mates, in a pizza store on a Saturday night. Like, we were playing hockey. We were doing, making the crazy pizzas like we had a lot of fun and then um and then I ended up uh I was working down at Doyle's at Watson's Bay for a bit but when I started to really get fit and shape my body and, and get sort of trying to look fit was I when I started working on the Garbos at Waverley Council I, I had all this free time I'd work in the morning finish at nine o'clock and a few of the other guys I was working with they kind of went to the gym and we all started going to the gym together and so I started working out and um yeah that's when I really started to turn so we, up. We, should, we should we should explain you're, this is a, the garbo is the Australian word for garbage man. Yes, garbage so, man. Yeah, uh, this garbologist. Is a garbologist. <laughs> so this is with the dump truck, with the with the yep. and, and going from house to house, picking up the bins, putting them in the thing, hitting the switch, making yep. the wheelie bin arm go up, dumping in the truck. And yep. were you ever a bottle smasher? Uh, you recycle. Yeah, that you have to. You have to sort the colours. So, oh, so and God. then throw the bottles in the back, and that's the that's a fun part of the job. <sighs> Not at four a.m. at my old house on O'Brien <laughs> Street above the Pizza Hut. Well, as a matter of fact, I actually do. Your Street on a Wednesday at about five thirty, where we are today. That's so, amazing. Yeah, so you, I could wake you up. So I've got to ask, how did you? When did it become a great idea? I'm going to go be a garbage man, um, which is a thankless job. And if people think about it, like it's possibly one of the most important jobs in a civil society uh, to have our trash, our refuse, be taken away so we don't have to deal with it. It's actually considered a. Um, oh, what's the word? It's um, it's 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 a job that. Um, it's illegal for us to strike because it's a health and safety issue for the community. Yeah. And it's also, it's essential service. Like yeah. it has to be done no matter what. So, you know, if we go, if we were to strike or something like that, um, the, it, it, it can be a major problem, especially for, for um, safety reasons. Yeah. Um, but one of the guys I actually work with now on the beach who I grew up with at Dover Heights, his old man was a garbo, Steve Bishop. And I used to see him coming home at, Six o'clock, seven o'clock, and uh, in the morning, yeah, in the morning, yeah. And I was like, I want a job like that because I love mornings. I'm the biggest morning person ever. My girlfriend hates it, but I'm up at four o'clock no matter what. Even if I don't have to go to work, I'm like, I'll take the dog walking or I'll go training or whatever. Like mornings to me, it's the best time of the day. Yeah, I think all the idiots are asleep. <laughs> Everyone else that's awake is, you know, they're on the same wavelengths as me, and I love it. Um, 
And so I just thought uh, positions became available at Waverley. I thought I'll apply and I got it straight away, which I was really happy with. And a kind of, it was a natural progression from me sort of taking up running, I think. Like I suddenly started, I, I thought if I can get a job where I can run um, and then have the rest of the day to myself, why not? You know? Because the way that the trucks work in Australia, you, the truck goes up the street and you either have to run ahead to get the bins out from between yeah. the parked cars or you run behind to catch up with a truck. Yeah, well, that's it. You run. Yeah. And Amazing. It's, yeah, it's, so how, um, how many Ks? You must have worn your Garmin doing it. Uh, yeah, I've worn a Garmin on, a, on our Wednesday run, which is probably not our longest day, and we do about 12K. That's awesome. So, yeah. But fartlek, because you're stopping and starting. Stopping and, and starting, and uh, I mean, in the old days, we used to lift a lot of bins, which is against OH&S now, but I mean, mate, some days, because it's job and finish. So as soon as you finish your work, you get to go home. doesn't matter what time it is. So the harder you go, the quicker you get to get home and go surfing or do whatever you want. I was always wondering why the Garbos were Go, so excited yeah, about yeah. getting down the street. Yeah. I mean, it used to be quite um, – a lot of football players and stuff used to do it when they used to have to have a trade. Now they get paid 200 grand a year. They don't need to have a trade. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, back in the old days where they used to – need to earn money as well. There was a lot of footy players and a lot of boxers and stuff because it was good training for them. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's the money's not as good anymore because I think people realise that we work less hours, but um, I'm, I'm looking at giving it up soon. I don't know how much longer the body uh, but, can hold it. But, you know, and you think about it, people just don't even consider that what their house would be like if they couldn't take the garbage out. Exactly, yeah. As kids, both my mum and dad came from the from Europe and around Christmas time it was always important to leave a, a six-pack oh, on the bin. Not, it's not like that anymore, but the old days, some of the Garbos used to have to literally drive the truck back to the depot, unload and go back. With the pres- presents of Christmas With all time. the beer, yeah. I mean, we still go all right. Um, obviously, we only can take a certain amount because of, um, we're only allowed with there's a gift register and we're only allowed $10 or something equivalent of $10 each. But um, but we go all right. <laughs> that is, it's, I think it's such a wonderful cultural thing in this country to give the Garbo a present yeah. at Christmas time to say thank you. It is. It's cool. They, my mum used to have, like like you said, my mum used to put Scotch finger biscuits out for the Garbos, the postman, and the milkman. <laughs> I, I, I definitely remember my mum uh, putting They'd out. They wrap them in everything. Yeah, yeah. We put bows around it. Mum yeah. was very. Fa- uh, she we, we put Guinness out. Put, this is in the this is in Brisbane in yeah. the eighties, man. When okay. Guinness, there was no fancy ads for Guinness. It yeah. wasn't a pre. It was uh, you had to go to the special bottle to get it. Yeah, then she would wrap it in a red bow. And God bless my mum. She put a Playboy magazine there oh. as well. <laughs> they, the Garbos find a lot of them. This is pre-internet. Yeah. This is pre-internet. Yeah, right. So okay. a bit of bliff yeah. for the Garbos. There you go, boys. Yeah, nice. And there was, she, she likes to tell a story once. Oh, this is in Brisbane before we had wheelie bins. Before we had the bins that have wheels on the bottom of it. Yeah. Um, when there were the lids that would screw down and screw off mum um, forgot to put it out one night and she was pregnant with my youngest brother Edward this is in the late, late 80s early, early 80s 81 and she said she, she heard the bin go in Brisbane she, she ran down and she's like dragging this trash can down onto the street and she said she saw the it was almost over the hill and she saw the red lights go on and then it reversed back. They came back. And they came back. She saw this pregnant woman just like dragging, oh, this, that's dragging so cool. this bin behind her. She's like, thanks, boys. Yeah, we, we, we go out of our way to help people wherever we can. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's just the nice thing to do, you know. It's, um, Mate, it's, a, it's amazing that you do that job and – yeah, I mean, a lot of people. A lot of people have said to me, you know, because I think that I'm sort of probably a little bit smarter than that, you know, like not not that you have to be stupid to be a garbo, but I think people sort of see that I've got. I mean, because I do a lot of the computer stuff at work, and I um I feel like I'm looking for something else. I just need to find it, but you know, it was kind of a 
a means to an end for a while, and then it kind of went for ten years, and I've been doing it for ten years now. Wow! So it's and it's just it's just the lifestyle. I love it. Like I do that, and then I go down and work at the beach, and I don't even consider the beach work. Like it's I go down and hang out with my mates, and we save people's lives. It's fun. Well, okay, let's get to that. So, at what <laughs> point did lifeguarding? Did you are you first aware that it's a professional job down on the beach, and it's not just the clubbies, not just the red and yellow guys? Um, I mean, I grew up in Bondi, but I didn't really. Obviously, my sisters did nippers, and I probably did. A little bit of nippers. So nippers I is. Back. I should explain. Nippers is like. I guess it's like little league or little athletics or like the kids version of surf lifesaving. Yeah. Getting small kids. How young mm. do they start? Four. Or oh, five? they're tiny. Yeah. Little little kids, and they get them used to diving in and out of the surf yeah. and swimming through the ocean and swimming past where you can touch and paddle yeah. boards and just skills to deal with the surf. And it's it's a really bonding thing. And it's it's a it's a great community day when they have the oh, nippers yeah. carnivals down on the beach. There's got to be twelve thousand children just yeah. running nuts. Yeah. Um. So kids that come up through that get a love for the water and a love and a respect for the ocean very yeah. early and it gives us the thing certainly as Australians I think we really take for granted how we know how to swim in the ocean 100%. and so many people overseas don't so you they did nippers did you yeah, do nippers yeah so they did nippers and I, I did a little bit of nippers but once I mean it was sort of the time when I put all the weight on yeah so I kind of as soon as I put all the weight on there was no way I was going to go to the beach and get around in a speedo not looking fat you know like oh, a, you know so I kind of turned away from that's when I started doing other things and um and then um, what happened? I was well, one of the guys that was working on the Garbos with me. He was also working as a casual lifeguard. And he said, mate, and because he saw that I'd sort of gotten feared and I was looking for, he said, mate, you should have a crack at the beach. He said, I'll speak to the boys, you know, see what I can do. Well, you know, let's find out if they're, they're doing an intake. And I was fortunate enough to, um, to get on probably th- three or four years before the show started. So I, I went, what I, I trained what I thought was enough. Um, at the time, and I mean, it's gotten a lot more competitive now, and I've watched it in the last ten years. Like, like guys go really hard. But back when I went, probably it was kind of just mates having a swim, you know, our tests, and it was kind of it was hard, but it wasn't super hard. I mean, I passed back then, and I definitely am nowhere near as fit as I am now. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I just went for the test, and I got the job, and yeah, I was I was a massive rookie. I mean, I I hadn't. Done. I did my bronze medallion before I got on, but I mean, and the bronze bronze medallion is done through the surf lifesaving. Yeah, so it's it's you get you get taught by other volunteer surf lifesavers on how to you do like a six week six to twelve week course on how to do CPR and uh-huh. how to do rescues and stuff. The one thing surf life don't teach people is how to spot someone in trouble, right. and that's one thing that I learned the difference between being a professional lifeguard and and the surf clubs is that. Um, that's the one thing that I put in the textbook is that's, and that's the one thing I learned from all the old guys like Kerbox and that at the beach in my first year was there's no point in being able to rescue someone if you can't pick them in trouble. Right. If you can't spot someone or even almost predict what they're going to do. Like yeah. that's our job at the beach. I mean, I know you probably want to get into it later, but our job we at can the, talk about it now. Yeah. Our, our job at the beach is, is pretty much like, People say, oh, it's a walk in the park, lifeguarding must be so easy. And it's like the way I feel after a nine-hour shift at Bondi is like I've just driven from Sydney to the Gold Coast. Why? Because you're concentrating on, especially at a beach like Bondi, I mean, there's other beaches where you can probably let your guard down a little bit, but you're looking for people to get into trouble before they get into trouble. You know what I mean? It's like on a busy day, you're just looking at 40,000 people going, okay, who's going to get into trouble, who's not? Um, and then you're also looking for people that are already in trouble, um, things that are going to happen, and it's 
it's it's it's a hard day and yeah i've done seven straight down there on a hot hot week and it's like you are wrecked at the end of the day wow yeah so i've been up in the tower and i remember when i first we'll, we'll get to this in a second so you you life going for a couple of years and at what point do they say hey you know what happens in this tower is pretty special and this is really exciting we're going to make a tv show out of it how do they come to you how do they say it well what happened was i worked this year obviously because you know i was there before it started but um one year we had 12 major resuscitations 12 and we got every single one of them back wow yeah one, a couple were at Bronnie and tama but majority of them were at bondi one of them this is an amazing story. I wasn't working this day. I wish the hell I was. Uh, rainy day. I was at Good Vibrations with a few of the other lifeguards. This is a big dance festival, yeah. girls in bikinis. Yeah. Great day. Having a really good day. Um, sun wasn't shining. It was a bit overcast and raining. But anyway, so back to Bondi. Um, three Irish doctors walking out of the water. One of them drops his board, drops his board and just starts sprinting. The boys in the tower are like, because it happened right in front of the tower, they're like, what the hell is this guy doing? Next thing, crack, bang, boom, lightning bolt straight through his left shoulder, out his left thigh. The guy drops. The boys are on to him within 30 seconds, resuscitated him, brought him back to life. The guy is absolutely fine now. So it's just because of their quick thinking and they got onto him so fast. Um, that was one of the 12 major resuscitations. They reckon that you can feel lightning coming through the ground and that's why he dropped his board and ran. We asked him later and he said he didn't remember. But wow. they reckon you can feel it coming and that's – the boys saw it like it was crazy. Anyway, Ben Davies was working with us at the time. Ben Davies, uh, he was a producer on shows like Getaway and stuff. He said – I think I – remember, I remember even turning to him one day. I said, mate, they've got to make a TV show down here. And he goes, mate, I think the same way, you know, like um, – and I was like – and I think a few other people said it as well. I said – they actually tried to do it a few years ago, but um, someone said no. Um, I think the council might have said no. But anyway, um, they, they, they filmed a pilot. Uh, they sent it to all the TV shows and I think Channel 10 was the only one that took it. I think Channel 9 and that were wow. kicking themselves after. And here we are now, you're, you're in the ninth season of which I worked on you for seven, yeah. seven of them. Yeah. Uh, six of which, six of which won Logies. Yeah. Five of which won Logies. Crazy. Now, it can be debated that they made up the category just for us. But. <laughs> no, I disagree completely because that kind of television came out. But I think for me, Bondi Rescue, which uh, is on air in America, it's on air in the UK, it's on air all through Europe. I think it's 120 countries. Amazing, man. Crazy. It is, for me, it's such a great, on many, many levels. For me, I, I mean, I, I was approached backstage at Australian Idol by Stephen Tate, who's a network executive um, producer. He's like a senior producer of uh, network, network senior producer. He says, um, we're doing a... Uh, we're doing a documentary about Bondi, about the lifeguards, and I think I really want you to narrate it. You yeah. live there, you know, you've lived there for years, you, you know, you, you're in the ocean all the time. And I said, yeah, that'd be great. So the next day I met um, Michael Cordell, who's one of the executive producers, and he walked me into the tower, and that's when I met you for the first time. And yeah. we had a bit of a chat, and I asked, the, I think I was all right when I asked Hoppo, he said, this is Hoppo, he's, he's in charge. And my first question to him was, I'm going to ask you a question. He says, you're all right. I said, Christmas Day... 2002, no, Christmas Day 2001, did you turn the shark siren on at 8 p.m. <laughs> deliberately to clear the water because you wanted to go home? Maybe. <laughs> 100%. Definitely. <laughs> so I'm like, and I knew I was in. <laughs> I knew I, I was all right because he knew it's like, oh, he's here. He knows how we work. He knows that, you know, it's our job. And Yeah. But I, I honestly, I... Every time I would watch those, because I would watch the shows early and I would, 
narrate, I would record it on this computer right here. Um, every time I watch them, I'm like, this is just a great Australian story. It yeah. just happens to be about lifeguards, yeah. happens to be in Bondi Beach, but it's about these incredible men that have chosen this path they just want to help people. You're yeah. all smart guys. You're yeah. all super intelligent. You could go and do any job you wanted. Mm. What drew you to just wanting to to help people? Because it can be tough, man. You're dealing with kids. Hearts have stopped. You're dealing with you lose people. It's a f- tough gig, man. Why? Um, to be honest, I didn't originally do the job to help people. Um, maybe I did. I don't know. I, I mean, helping people is just something I think we naturally do as humans. We all just want to help each other. Well, most people do. There are people out there that probably don't, but I think that, you know. I, mean, I think you guys you guys put yourselves in harm's way. Uh, when shut up, dude. <laughs> Stop being so humble. Stop being so Australian. When the, when the ocean is, when it's breaking from point to point, white water, yeah. and people are going under, you guys are going out. Yeah. You guys are paddling out in this, this death machine whitewash coming straight at you. <laughs> Jet skis are good for that. <laughs> well, still, you're going out there. Yeah. You're risking your own lives to help a complete stranger. Yeah. Um, I, I probably, my first few years, I was, I mean, I'm getting a lot better now. I actually just surfed the point for the first time at about probably eight to 10 foot. I was shitting myself, but I got a couple of waves out there and Kerbox is really good at getting me out there. But um, look, I think that, I think that, Help, like I said, helping people is just something that comes naturally, I think, to us. And I think as a group of guys, I think that, I mean, it's like a carpenter building a house. Once he knows how to do it, it's pretty easy. I think it comes the same to the guys, especially the guys I work with. They're all really good surfers. So negotiating the surf and rescuing people is something that comes very naturally to them. And it's, it's a lot easier than someone that doesn't know how to do it. So I think that the, the difference between us and a carpenter is like it's probably a little bit more satisfaction in the fact that we've stopped someone from dying. You know what I mean? Whereas, you know, like a carpenter, you know, just puts a roof over someone's head, which isn't one? that bad. Do you remember your first person that is alive because of you? Um, I've done a few. I don't know. Oh, I don't know if I do remember, to be honest. But I've done a few. I, I remember there's a, there's, a, there's a lot that I do remember where I'm like, if I hadn't have been there that day, they would have died. I did a rescue on this Asian lady and it wasn't, it wasn't a heavy rescue, but she definitely would have drowned. I remember I was walking the prom on my own. I like to, I like to, when I'm working, I like just walking on my own. I don't, so a lot of the guys need to kind of hang with someone else. And that's the beauty of working at Bondi. You're always working with about five guys. So you can just go for a walk and do what you do. And I remember I was just walking along the prom and this Asian lady was on a bank and she just kept slipping off. And, um, and there was the Bondi Surf School was out there as well. And sometimes you can sort of lose a head because we call them heads. We don't call them people or anything. Like if there's a head in the rip, there's a head there. But that's what you see. You see the head that's go right. down once, you see it go yeah. down twice, and we better get out. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, and she was kind of just slipping off the bank and I was sort of walking and I nearly radioed the tower. And, and the next minute she was just, she was going under. But she was in the middle of all the learn to surf people and I just dropped my bum bag and I sprinted down the sand and I probably had a good 500 metres to run and I had my, had my radio and I said, I'm going in in front of the Brazilian stairs and I paddled out and I remember literally looking down and she was probably, she'd given up. She was just looking up like that. Whoa. Um, probably about two foot under the water and I just put my hand down and I just pulled her up and she just went, <gasps> took this big deep breath and I just went... 
wow, you should be dead. <laughs> and, uh, but, and that kind of, after losing the guy the couple of weeks before, that kind of made me feel a lot better. I just got goosebumps you telling me that story about yeah. that woman. What, and, and what happens afterwards? Do you sit with them for a little bit? What uh, well, usually when they're Asian, they don't speak much English. And That's it's, all right, but you still sit with them. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, sometimes they walk off laughing. It just depends on the situation. She was, she was sort of, she was very thankful. She kind of gave me a hug and she just kind of cruised off. And what I, was the look in her eye when you were paddling over her? Could you uh, see the look in her eye? Yeah, but still just kind of um i think someone was telling me because um uh we apparently it's culture in it's it's japanese culture to sort of not fight death i don't know how true that is but i've heard that from a few people and i've done a few rescues like that that was one that stood out just because it was a couple of weeks after but um but yeah so she just kind of looked up at me sort of still just like she'd sort of given up why yeah we rescue a lot of people from a lot of different um Different races, different cultures, and well, it's the you, most you can, it's the most tourist magnet beach in Australia, oh, it, without totally. a shadow of a doubt. It's not yeah. like the Gold Coast where it's spread over seventy k. Yeah, there's this tiny little eight hundred meter wide stretch of sand. Yeah, super accessible to the city of Sydney. Yeah, tourist buses coming every half hour. Yeah, dumping people who've never put their feet in sand <laughs> no, on there, and yeah. then ten minutes later they're in the water. Yeah. <laughs> but- Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at bluenile.com. And remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I mean, an, an English or an Irish person, you can hear them screaming from the tower. It doesn't matter. You don't need a megaphone, nothing. They will scream so loud. Um, uh, but an Asian person, especially the Japanese, they just – some will scream, some won't. They scream when they can stand. They right. get, yeah. I've, rescued, I've done rescues before. I'm going, dude, just stand up. <laughs> yeah. Like – because they, they, they suddenly swimming and like they go to put their feet down. They're just in a little hole and the hole kind of drags them over to where they can probably stand. But because they're already vertical and they were swimming, they're like, help me, help me. And you're like, you can stand now. It's okay. But for them, if they've never been in the water, it's terrifying. It's absolutely yeah. terrifying. We're talking people- about people that have never seen the ocean. Yeah. And suddenly shock takes hold. Well, yeah. yeah, and and there's this great book I recommend it to everyone. It's a book by uh, Lawrence Gonzalez called Deep Survival about what happens to our brains right. when we're in survival situations, where it's life or death. Yeah. We almost go autistic, actually. Okay. We come down a tunnel vision and people become objects yep. and we go, we can kind of like totally circumvent all actual available evidence and we wow. sometimes make really 
really obvious dumb mistakes because we're just in automatic pilot because yep. that's what we know brings safety. If I swim harder, safety is there. Yep. Not realizing if you just relax, go with the rip, yep. it'll stop, go across 10 meters, come in, you'll be fine. Exactly. People know that oh, if swimming, I, I've swum before and swimming gets me to the edge of the pool, so I'll just swim really hard. Yeah. And there's basically swimming in a treadmill full of water. Exactly. The Thought you couldn't empty. swim against it. It's so yeah, strong. It's... I used to sit in my house on the end of Knotts Avenue there. I remember one day I counted 200 jet ski pullouts on, oh, a, yeah. on a Christmas day. 200. Yeah. I just sat there just ticking them off. I, I wrote it down on my Scrabble book. I was yeah. just sitting there watching, drinking cups of tea, yeah. watching jet skis. Two at a time, three at a yeah. time, backpackers going in. So how can people be – what are some things that people need to know about swimming in the surf? Like what's the real simple thing that you just want everyone to know? Um just probably relax. It's like, that's easy to say. Um, always try to swim between oh, the flags. So yeah, you know, that's what I was going to say. Um, oh, look, um, just obey the signs. If there's a yellow sign there with a picture of a guy swimming and then they cross through it, you shouldn't be swimming there. Don't <laughs> swim there, you know. Like, you know. It's a fairly, yeah. fairly clear graphic. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, I love my job. I love being busy. Hey, if you're a good-looking Swedish bird, jump in. <laughs> it's sure a lot nicer than rescuing a big overweight dude in his underwear. But all these people are so happy you exist, man, because all these people uh, – have you even counted? Like I was thinking – I was talking to one of the other lifeguards there, Dino, about it once. Like how many people are having dinner with their family or have just had a kid now and they're alive because you went to work that day? One of my first resuscitations was in a 26-year-old. She was Australian, but she was born in South Africa, 26-year-old girl, and she was dead for all money. I remember it was actually the night of the lifeguard race, and this was one of the 12 major resuscitations we did in that first year. And I was putting the boards on the roof because we're taking them to Bronny. When we do our lifeguard race, we paddle back from Bronny. Anyway, I'm talking to Ben Quigley. two beaches down from Mondo. It's two yeah. kilometre paddle, and these guys take this race very seriously. <laughs> very seriously. And... um. Ah, uh, so I'm putting the boards on the roof and I said to Quiggers, there's someone face down in the South Rip. And he was going, nah, it's a broken board. And I said, nah, mate, that's someone face down. That's the other, that, that's, the, that's her board. And he goes, nah, and I just sprinted through the tower. And just as I got to the tower, I opened the door and I went flying through the tower because I was on the promenade. And I said, boy, South Corner. And I kept going. And then I heard over the radio as I was running down to the bike, I'm going in here. And Caelan was already down here, down there. And, uh, and so he paddled out and I jumped in another bike and I raced down there and Sean was already down there as well. And I swam out and helped get her on the board, took her board, paddled her board in while they took her in on the other board. Um, we got her up the beach, we carried her up, um, started resuscitation on her. By that time, Hoppo and Ben Quigley had already got the other gear down there, but she was dead for about four minutes, I reckon. Um, we gave her two shocks of the defib, and I was on the head too. This is my first recess. Hoppo helped me a lot through it because he's done ma- millions. But like you know, you always make a lot of mistakes in your first one, and I kept dropping the Goodell airway, which is which is like kind of like a plastic airway we give someone that's that's drowned, um, just so that we can get oxygen in. Um, I kept dropping that in the sand, so I had to keep going washing it out, and that was kind of my mistakes that I made in my first one. But yeah, after two shocks, four minutes, we had her talking before the ambulance even got there, which was. Uh, the most amazing experience of my life. I was like, like she was blue. She was dead as a doornail and I was like, wow. And she had a big party for us and she donated a board. And I mean, for me, like the party was fun, but just the fact that she's alive, she's got kids and everything now. And all, all that happened was she just went out. It was just a bit too big for her on that day. And I think a set broke on her head and it knocked her out. 
knocked her head against the board and she was just out. Yeah. And so she keeps in touch. Uh, yeah, she sent us. She, I'm pretty sure she sent. This was oh, this was ooh, be ten years ago now. No, no, I've only. I think this is my eleventh season. So, and this was probably. Yeah. I didn't do a resus for two. Yeah, it'd be close to ten years. But uh, I think about pretty sure about six years ago, I saw her on Facebook. She got a couple of kids. That's married amazing. and stuff. Yeah, it's well, good. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's others that. I mean, we do a lot of down there. We do a lot of rescues that are probably preventatives, but. Every now and then you'll do one where you just like. I remember there was an there was an episode of the show. I think it was the one where I was scared of the big waves, but they kind of led in with me doing these three really good rescues, and every single one of them was like, "Oh man, like your heart is just pounding out of your chest, and you are paddling." You're like, I think that was the day we were really busy, and we only had one bike because it was broken, and I was running. I was, I was working south, and I love these. These are my favourite days. You're working south corner. You've got the south corner rip running. You've got the backpackers rip running, and you're on your own, and you're just going from rip to rip. And you're, you can even be out the south corner, and you see someone struggling, and you've got to paddle across the bank to pick someone else up with someone else on your board. And but that's what we love about it. It's like otherwise you'd you'd sit there and just go, okay. But no, bring it on. Rescues are good. <laughs> I love it. That's, you know, it really Amazing. tests your skills, you know. And so Bondo Rescue this season, the show gets – Amazing, amazing ratings and people, it keeps coming back and people love the show and the story goes international and then you go on this mad trip across Europe with a couple of lifeguards. Yeah. Almost, almost like a, an adventure with let's go meet the people. What was that like? Well, I, I basically about five years ago, I started the Facebook page. I thought, you know what, this Facebook's got something and I think we're gonna, it's going to come in handy later on. I'll just start a page and see what happens. It's at, you know, like it's at 140,000 or something, which, I mean, I think it could be more, but I don't put heaps of time into it. But anyway, and I went through the stats on kind of, who were our friends on Facebook who liked it and it was all over the world like it was everywhere and I was like maybe we could get a PR company in the UK to get us a trip over there and what we originally wanted to do was we went to Virgin uh, Atlantic and we said hey guys like um, I want to run a competition on our Facebook page. We've got all these fans all over the world. I'd love to bring two of them over here, fly them over um, give them a whole Bondi lifeguard experience for the day, put them in the Swiss Grand, um, you know, and I feel like it'll help help us, you know, just it'll, it'll do something good for someone else. It'll help you guys. So Virgin said, yeah, no worries, we'll give you some flights. Went to the Swiss Grand. They said, yeah, we'll put them up in a room. You know, I just thought it would be something really nice to give these really good fans of ours, you know, people that – especially people that live in England that live in these – Parts of England that just rains oh, every yeah, day. Like, well, that's the other thing about the show. I remember watching the first two seasons. I remember turning to Michael Cordell, the producer. I'm like, "This is just beach porn, isn't it's it?" He soft goes, porn. "He's like blue skies <laughs> and white sand. Yeah. It's just girls in bikinis <laughs> and men with their shirts off. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. <laughs> it's, and you can imagine someone living in the middle of England. It's weather porn. It's just <laughs> weather porn. It's like always a beautiful day exactly. on Bondo Rescue. Yeah, yeah it's they, amazing. If they ever put in a section about the Southerly Buster, they just show it coming in and then they cut to the next day. <laughs> You know, it's um, so and we said, you know, what's the you know, Virgin said, yeah, we'll give you the flights. And they said, we've got a better idea. What about if we fly you guys over there to meet them and and then bring them back? And I was like, okay, so you're going to give us four of us flights. Anyway, it it ended up we brushed the competition and it turned into this big promotional tour. We went to England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, Sweden, Barcelona, and yeah, it just was this. It was this crazy seven-week tour. And what we did, we took a whole heap of the books that we did and out the back with Bondi Rescue. 
and we um, we were using the Facebook page. And anywhere we'd be, if we'd be at Macca's or anywhere, we'd, we'd just put on Facebook, we're here, we're in Manchester McDonald's, uh, this shopping centre. First one to come here and pat Maxie on the head gets a free book. People were turning up within two minutes. It's amazing. Every time. That is amazing. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, and, and that was before Mark Zuckerberg bought in the whole pages thing and it only now, when you post to your page, it only goes out to a certain percentage unless you pay. So we probably couldn't do that again anymore right. unless we pay, not $2,000 or something, whatever it is, yeah, ridiculous. Right. But, yeah, it was great and we had the best time. So on that trip, I'm going to guess that you weren't eating great. No. <laughs> put, uh, I think I put on about 10 kilos, actually. So I remember there was a big shift in you when you came back from that. You kind of, again, you had a look at yourself yeah. in the mirror and went, yeah. you know what? No. Nah. You've done your research. Yeah. I'm not here for a haircut, yeah. mate. <laughs> and that was pretty much from what I gather from knowing you for a while now, that was like the start of your kind of past the triathlon there, you kind of got into this fitness thing there. You were like, yeah. you know what, I'm going to change. Let's do this thing. Let's do it. Okay. Well, yeah, I, 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 um, I did. I put on 10 kilos and I, I, and kind of because I lost all the weight, I learned how easy it was to do. Mm. And I learned that, you know, I can sort of let myself go a little bit because I know how hard I've got to train to get it back. So I, I, Michelle Bridges, friend of mine, just because we've done some stuff with her with Bondo Rescue and I've, I trained with her, one of her business partners, Amelia, and I said, she said, oh, I'm about to launch my third season of um, 12WBT. Um, do, you know, do you want to do it? And I was like, I'd love to do it. So I kind of did that. Um, and doing that, I did something fun every Saturday that kind of was a little, I wanted, and I blogged about it and I did videos, like I did pole dancing one of my Saturdays. I wanted to show people that you don't have to just go to the gym and, and run on a treadmill. You don't have to go and do weights. You can, there's, there's fun things out there to do that you can keep fit and healthy and have, enjoy yourself at the same time. So I did pole dancing, I did flying trapeze. I did all these things that you need to be physically strong or need to be fit to do. And, and like rock climbing, that was another thing that I loved. Like rock climbing, just in the rock climbing gym at it's they've got like 10 walls you know we me and Corey went along and we raced these girls up the wall like it was you know we did fun stuff and then then what happened and then a few of the other boys after the 12 week thing finished um a few of the local guys opened up a gym in Bondi called Shift 60 and it's it was a little bit different it had 12 of these woodway treadmills in it and um it was functional training it was a bit different and they said we're gonna do this um we're going to do this, uh, we're going to try and break the world treadmill record and we're going to get Craig Alexander, world triathlon legend champion, to, to do it, to head up the team and we want you and uh, Bacon to join along. And, and I was like, okay, cool, this sounds like something I could maybe do because I was running all right. Um, and then when they showed me the rest of the team for this, the, the 12, which was Steve Monaghetti, um, Alistair Ross, uh, Lisa Corrigan, she's the fastest chick over. Like we were definitely Just the slowest guys. Legends yeah. of athletics. Legends, yeah. yeah. Like I think Alistair Ross is a Commonwealth Games gold medal. No, I don't know about gold, but he's done very well. Um, Dave Matthews, unbelievable runner. Uh, Crowey, obviously. Monaghetti, Australia's best ever runner, I reckon. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and so I think they just kind of wanted us to have a bit of a local feel for it as well because it was in Bondi. So the Today Show did it out of there. And, um, and then what happened? After it, I, I kind of – I knew about the Hawaiian Ironman, but I didn't really – I knew Crowey was a legend, but I didn't really follow it while he was winning. I followed it as a kid, but then when I got fat, I kind of turned away from sport. And then I kind of – as I came back into it, I kind of didn't really follow that sort of stuff. But anyway, um, it, we did it for his charity, the Kids Foundation, and the Kids Foundation said, would you and Bacon be up for putting a team into the Melbourne Ironman? 
And well, I was like, triathlon, yeah, okay. Um, all right, well, I'll do the run leg. I can run and bacon said, yeah, all right, I'll do the swim. And we got another guy to do the bike. And uh, we went down and we did it. I didn't really think – I did the marathon, which was my second marathon, which was um, hard. I don't think marathons get easy. But um, – uh, but I was probably a little bit more trained, so I found it a bit easier. And then after it, but what really turned me and made me want to get into triathlon was they let us sit at the finish line and catch people with towels. That's kind of when people are crossing the line, like they're covered in sweat, they've got foam hanging out of their mouth, they've got goo and gel all over them, and they just cross the line and it's like they get this second wind and it's just like the best thing they've ever done. And I remember at about 9 o'clock at night, we caught this 82-year-old and we were like, mate, you're 82. You don't spend 15 hours running, swimming. And like, my dad's 82. And like, he gets around a golf course, but that's about it, you know? Like, and it was, we were just so inspired. And I said, well, we looked at the boys and I said, mate, come on back here. I'm doing this next year. You're right. And, uh, and that's how I got into it. So now you are about to go to Las Vegas. Your triathlon career is to a point where you are, if I'm not mistaken, these are the world championships? Yeah, the world championships. <laughs> that's that how I like to say it. Amazing. Yeah. And so here you are, you're about to compete against the best 70.3, which is a half Ironman distance yeah. athletes on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> in 40 degrees in a desert. In Las Vegas. <laughs> it's going to be this fun. This is mind blowing, man. <laughs> yeah. It's that's, pretty cool. That's an achievement in itself. Like, how do you feel going into this? Um, I'm a little bit nervous because, like I said to you before, I'm very goal driven. So, before I, when I decided, like I, I qualified for it in, in at a half, because you have to qualify for it. You have to um, either come a certain place and there's only a certain amount of spots in each Ironman that you do. So in Bustleton, I did it. I mean, I, I came probably a little bit back in the field, but a few guys didn't take the spot. But anyway, I got it. I turned up on the day and I got it. And, um, and after that, and I decided, I said, right, you're going to set yourself some really good times and I mean the goal time that I've set myself is probably nearly 25 minutes faster than I did in Bustleton but I knew that I had 10 to 12 weeks leading up to it I knew that I had a lot of good time to train I got a very very understanding girlfriend which is what you need if you want to train to be an Ironman because I'm telling you it absolutely takes up your life but I couldn't be happier and I yeah, I set the goal times and, and I'm feeling good. I'm feeling confident because like Ironman Melbourne, my first Ironman, when we did, we did some TV stuff for Ironman Melbourne because they did this whole thing on the lifeguards doing it, all doing it for the first time. And every person's answer to the question was, how are you feeling? You're nervous. And I was like, oh, I'm shitting myself. You know, I'm so scared. And when they got to me, I said, I, they said, how are you feeling? I said, I can't wait. Like, I'm like, this is what I just spent the last eight weeks training for. Why would I be scared? I can only do what I can do. As long as I stick to my race plan, I'm going to have fun out there. And that's what everyone said to me, you're going to have fun. I think I think Vegas is going to be a little bit different because an Ironman, you kind of, you can't race an Ironman. You've got to, you've got to, you set your times and you go and you ride to heart rate or whatever. 70.3 is short enough to race but long enough to be really hard. So I'm confident, but I haven't raced in anything over 25 degrees. It's supposed to be 40 degrees. So I think I'm in for a very long time. Which is day. in American, you double it and add 32. So right. that's 80, it's 112 degrees Fahrenheit. That's hot. But it's not like here. It's not like Brisbane heat. It's not like Noosa heat. It's, it's, it's dry. So it's, yeah, hot, it's hot. Mate. It's hot, but it's like, You'll be all right. Just, <laughs> just keep right. your hydration up. Were you in Sydney when we had that 42-degree day? That no, 42 I was in LA. Heat day? Okay, I did three lapses, in, or three K in Centennial Park, and I wanted to absolutely die, and I was wow. fit. Like that dry heat, you, it's almost like you can't breathe. Yeah. And the sweat, you don't even sweat because it dries before it comes out of your pores. Yeah, yeah. I've, I ran 
the my favorite place one of my favorite places to run in Los Angeles is uh, actually Rich Roll showed it to me. Uh, it's a um, uh, it, it's a ridge line up behind Tarzana, and you basically run a fire trail up to an old. Um, Cold War era anti-aircraft missile site that was designed to shoot down Russian bombers. Yeah, right. like, there's this full missile silo up there. Full so you on. run up to this missile silo and back. Yeah. And I emptied over a half marathon distance, 21K, I emptied a three-liter Camelback. Really? Completely empty. Wow. And like... Didn't, no pee, didn't pee once. Yeah. You know? I was that's like, hectic. It's like that intense. That is hectic. So as long as you keep your... You know, you, your plan up. And yeah, you, well, I mean, I've got, I've got a nutrition plan. I've got, I spoke to a guy that um, works with shots and shots do amazing things and they, um, he's got me on these, they, they do these tablets that are full of sodium. They've got no sugar in them because refined sugars can really sit in your guts and you can't, I've learned that you can't, you can't run off a bike after eating refined sugars, which I learned that the really hard way in the first Ironman that I did. So none of those Redskins from nah, back in the lolly no shop back in the day? <laughs> no Red Frogs. Nah. No, I mean, Coca-Cola is one thing that, that they use in you know, Hawaii, but, um, um, yeah, I've got a nutrition plan and look, like I said, like I said with Melbourne, I'm so excited to race yeah. because that's what you train for. Like, yeah. why be scared? Just if you have a bad race, well, smile and just enjoy it anyway. The other thing, I, and I've run a bunch of marathons now, I've run a bunch of halves. The other thing I love about it is like, look at us. Yeah. There's thousands of us. We've all done the same thing for the last three months, getting yeah. ready for this day. Yeah. Here we are together doing the same thing together. Yeah. How awesome is yeah, this? Yeah, it's so much fun. Because we live so much of our lives alone with you, me, with my face glued to my goddamn Twitter feed. Yeah. You know, it's so great yeah. to just do that. And I just, just running, when I, whenever I run, just like the, all the answers come to me. And yeah. I, I do all my best brain work, certainly since my divorce, all the best, the most powerful healing work and rebuilding and reprogramming work I've done is after a couple of K when everything's kind of settled down and all the, all the junk has gone out of my mind and I'm yep. trying to really into my breathing and my pace and I've got my, you know, my watch going and I know I'm, I'm locked into my, I can go all day pace as long as I keep eating, I can do this for all day. Yeah. And that's when I really get down into it and I get almost in a trance like yes, state. Yes, yes. And I do all the really great rewiring of my brain when I'm in there and I come back from a run and I'm like, I'm a new man. Feel amazing, eh? That's, that's exactly how I felt the other day. It's um, and now, are you are, when you run your half marathons? Are you are you setting goal times? Are you trying to get faster? Or are you just happy to run them? Are you just I'm enjoying just happy the atmosphere. To run anyway. yeah. I mean, like right now, I'm injured, so I can't run more than four or six k at a time. And how is that frustrating it's, you a lot? Oh God damn it! Yeah, because I, I have I have to run. I have to I have to run the quiet my monkey mind in the mornings. Yeah, I just have to. Yeah. that's just what I have to do. What I, about can you substitute with a paddle or something? Well, yeah, that's the thing that I've been swimming. Yeah, I've okay. been swimming out across the bay. Nice, which has been amazing. I did yeah. a gig for two times a year and yeah. it was a contra gig so they gave me some product in nice. return it was great it was, yeah. helped open their American store in Santa Monica Okay, and so they they, they hooked me up with this wetsuit, which is the greatest wetsuit oh. I've ever worn in my life. They're just, they're legal cheating. Like, <laughs> it's cheating. It's, I'll tell you why it's so amazing. It's got nothing to do with how floaty it is. It's, um, it's laminated on the inside. Yeah, right. You can take it off in about three seconds. Yeah, right. It's not like my surf wetsuit, which is like. <laughs> you did the monkey dance like, to try and get it off. It's like being stuck in a wet woolly jumper. Yeah. It's too, it's too small for you. Yeah. You do a shoulder just trying to pull yourself yeah. out of it. Like the zip goes all the way down to my bum crack and you're, whoosh, you're Straight out of off. That's but the idea. Like being out in the ocean, again, just being alone. It used to be a time in my life where I was, I was so freaked out to be alone with my thoughts. And now it's just, it's just the greatest. One of the, thing I, one of the things I took up a few years ago was open ocean paddling, just purely for the fact that 
like I do a lot of paddles from Maruba to Bondi or Bondi to Maruba. On a long paddle board, 18 foot long one or uh, 10 foot? No, I, I can't handle the big boys. Like I, I, I have paddled on an 18 foot board, but I, I like something a bit shorter just because I'm a bit shorter and I feel like I can manipulate it better. Right. Um, once you go to 18 foot, the boards stand up or prone, lay down or kneeling. They need rudders yeah. because they're just too long. And to master a rudder can take three to four years, whereas a 14 foot board, a st- like I, I ride a 14 foot stand up board, but I actually, I've done the model. Molokai paddle, which is over in Hawaii, which is from one island to another. I did it in a team, um, but I got third with another dude, which is pretty cool. Um, 55Ks. But yeah, now I want to go back and do it solo on a stand-up. Like that's my dream. I want to do it on a 14-foot stand-up, not the big ones, because like I said, I don't like the rudders. But yeah, I took up stand-up paddleboarding because like I'll, some days I'll whack the board on the roof of the car if a nice southerly's blowing, drive to Maroubra and I'll just take off out at South Maroubra and I'll be three or four K out to sea on my own and just chasing runners all the way to Bondi. I did it, I did it probably six months ago and I did it in about 32 minutes. That's faster than you can drive it in a car. Like that's on a, on a busy day and it's, it's, it's for me, it's the best feeling I've ever, like I want to take you one day because those paddle boards with the wind, downwind paddling is the funnest experience of your life. It's like surfing for three, for 30 minutes. On the, un, on the open ocean swell. It, on the open this, ocean swell. This is swells. the waves that eventually come to a shoreline yeah. and break. Yeah. But there's these big lumps of yeah. water that are usually 10 to 14 seconds apart yeah. on a big swell. We call them bumps. So when it's windy, like you'll get these little gutters. And if you wear polarized sunnies, you can see the gutters even better. And you're just chasing chops and you're literally surfing the whole time. Amazing. It's um, Some of the best times of my life really have been when – I remember it was, I think, 2006, 2007, um, when you guys were all coming to Idol on a Sunday, Sunday oh, night. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, well, what can we do? I was like, I want you to teach me how to ride the big boards. Yeah, ride, right. Ride the rescue boards. And just, just you taking me out past the headland yeah. and, and teaching me how to ride those big boards over to Bronte and, and, and paddling yeah. back out in the ocean or out, out past the headland. You feel like a Viking yeah. out there. You're like, it's just me in the ocean. Yeah. Ah, Especially when you've got the crowd on the hill too. You know, like they're, you know, like they're like, they want to be down there, you know, but it's like not many people get that opportunity. It's just the greatest, mm. man. It's so, there's nothing like, there's really nothing quite as healing, healing as being out in the ocean either. Nah, they're the just, salt, something about the salt, I think. I, I think this is. Yeah. Something about, I, I find it's like, being forced into the space of humility. Like, I have to be humble around this. Yeah. Because I could, this is really dangerous what I'm doing. I'm like, yeah. out in this space, anything could happen. Yeah. There's, there's wild animals out here. Mm. Um, big wild animals. Big wild animals. Yeah. So bear in mind, they're very well fed and yeah. humans aren't on the menu. <laughs> Let's remember that. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's, you've got to be humble and you've got to have mm. that space of, I'm not the most important thing in the world. I'm, there's things bigger about me that I have to be put myself second because something is far and I've got to be respectful of the ocean and just being in that space it's just so there's something about it that really changes my that Maruba to Bondo paddle for me is the most healing like as soon as the next lovely I'll definitely be doing it because I just haven't had a lot of time to do it but bro you did it on a stand up yeah oh my god just because I just because um I'll, I'll do it on either. I don't really care. But for me, stand up, I feel like you can get the runners easier. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and it's like you're proper surfing. Like, you know, once you crack a good runner, you can be right on the back on your fins. And, you you know, one that day I did it really fast. That was just the best chops. And I, I fell off probably six or seven times and you get back up real quick. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're out of the open. Oh, yeah. And you're on your own. Like, I was on my own. Like, I was like, the only thing I worry about is one day if I was to fall and hit my head. But you know what? If if I was to die out there doing that, I'd die doing something I love. So, you know, it wouldn't be that bad. 
That's what I say to people about sharks. My girlfriend's petrified of sharks. I said, you know what? If you get eaten by a shark, you're very lucky because you have more chance of dying with a coconut hitting you on the head. I think that's a true fact that I read somewhere. But um, And I said, also, if, you, if your shark eats you, it's probably the most natural way to die. You just lunch. Well, that's right. But that's how, that's the I told, human. I, told, I used to say this to my ex-wife all the time, you know, that. <laughs> I'm just a part of the protein chain then. That's right, yeah. I'm not dying because someone didn't build a staircase right or someone can't drive yeah. or someone hasn't had a shitty life and they're holding me up for money and yeah. the gun goes off. Exactly. Uh, you know, I'm not dying because of that reason. No. I'm, I'm dying because something was like, you know what, I'm an animal and I'm it's, hungry. It's natural. guess what, buddy? Yeah, you're my lunch. You're it. <laughs> yeah. And Most of the time, sharks spit you out anyway. Well, yeah, because we're bony and yeah. we're not nice to eat. They don't like the taste of no, us. No, no, we're, we're really bony. Yeah. And they just go, Ugh. Yeah. Um, but just on that, um, I know a shark conservationist, she was telling me that something happened in 1952, uh, an article came out in, the, it was in New York, it was talking about an, uh, something that happened off of Long Island or something like that. Um, it was the first time they replaced the word, it used to be called a shark incident. A shark incident. Yeah, right. A person died in a shark incident. Yeah. Changed, they changed it to attack. Why, but? Why, why? Well, because it was, it was an incident. It was like, well, you were swimming where sharks have lunch. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Then it became an attack, like yeah. they're hunting humans. Yeah. They were never hunting nah, humans. No, 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 no. But no. it changed people's perception of what a shark does. Yeah, right. Like, okay. Yeah, okay. The old way was we really shouldn't be there because <laughs> if there's, you know, if there's dogs in the water, the birds are diving, um, it smells like fish, <laughs> it's murky, and it's sunset, you probably shouldn't yeah, go in. no. No. All right? But if, if people go in, they're like, oh, they were attacked by a shark. <laughs> no, they were just in the water at feeding time. What time are you doing your swims across the bay? Oh, gentleman's hour, like eight or nine. Yeah, right. Don't okay. worry. Oh, no. I, don't worry. I remember. I never forget when we paddled out to see that dolphin uh, that was eaten in the net. Oh, the dead one. Yeah, right. You know, time yeah, we saw that yeah. dolphin. Uh, that was, where there was a dolphin. We were looking at this thing that was caught in the nets. And so Reedy and I, we went out and we paddled to go and check out what this thing was. And it was a dolphin that had been... Uh, uh, it was it was it had been attacked. It was in the nets and it was dead. And we were like, "Why? Well, how did it die?" And we looked underneath it. <laughs> we looked under the water. We popped our head under the water, and the bite radius had to have been. I'm not even exaggerating. It had to have been half a meter. Had to have been. At it least, wasn't a human, that's for sure. At least at least two foot wide. Yeah. Now, if you do the reverse engineering on the width of that bite yeah. to the length of that animal, that yeah. bit, like there's some big things. Out there's there. some big things. Well, they're not after humans. No, but some of them, like the guy that got bitten at Bondi, they reckon that was a great white, but it was an immature great white learning how to hunt. Right. So let's just hope there's He's not more of well. them. He is alive and well. He's short an arm, but... I saw a, I saw a shark. I was stand up paddling the other day. Out here? Oh, no. It was... Uh, I can't say where. <laughs> because we were shooting up there. We were doing the Bachelor. Oh, okay, we yeah. Were shoot, we were shooting somewhere where... Bush meets the beach, basically. And you saw one? I was on a stand-up paddleboard. When you were shooting or just this no, no, was laser time? Because we were shooting in the evening, so, right. we, so in the, I was grateful. I had my days free. Yeah. So I'm on a stand-up paddleboard, and I saw it. Wow, I saw this huge leatherback turtle. thing was his body was as big as a coffee table. I thought it was a rock. Yeah. I thought it was a piece of reef just yeah. sticking out. And I get close to it, and this head as big as a human head pops up and eyeballs me. I'm like, wow, this thing had to be 140 years old. You know, it was giant. Yeah. Giant. And then I'm paddling, paddling, paddling. And I look down, I'm like, why is there a three foot long or four foot long steel pole in the middle of the water? <laughs> What's that? My brain's putting it together. All yeah. I see is a steel pole. And I paddle and I saw it kind of do a little kind of figure eight shape. Oh, shit. Like, That's kind of weird. The water's a bit murky. The tide was going out. And then I got about 
two or three paddles later, I'm like, oh shit, that was the tail <laughs> fin of a shark because it was grey and shiny. Yeah, right. And I, I, I text my friend who's a shark conservation. I said, if the thing was about two and a half foot from tail to tip, yeah. how long was f- that thing? shark? She says, it was probably like easily an eight footer wow. or more. Easily. You don't know what, you know, you wouldn't have a clue what style you reckon? Uh, it was probably a white up there. Yeah, right, okay. But, uh, yeah. mate, like I said, they're very well fed and I'm not on the menu. Yeah, they're so, there, but they're there. And so what? Mm. You know, it's I've, could, like, I have more chance of getting killed by a car crossing Campbell Parade. 100%. Walking down. Especially in this area. Look, yeah. Any beach in Australia, yeah. you have more chance dying yeah. getting to the beach than oh, you do getting eaten. 100%. Without a shadow of a doubt. A bloke that I used to do a bit of Molokai training with told me the best story. He was doing similar to what I was doing out of... Um, out off Maroubra and he was paddling from Maroubra to Bondi and he got off the back of Wedding Cake. He reckons he was about 2K off Wedding Cake. That's a bit sharky back there. So sharky. And he saw this He saw this fin. This is was, a, no, wedding Cake is a, uh, it's a, it's a hunk of rock that sits in Coogee, mm-hmm. in the middle of the bay at Coogee. Yeah. And he, anyway, he saw this fin and it was kind of following him. He was like, okay, this is a little bit freaky. So he started paddling. Well, this he, is on, he's on a prone paddleboard, so his prone, hands are down yeah, in the water. Hands, yeah, hands are in the water. Yeah, yeah, he's pulling through. And he sort of, he thought, I'm gonna, just going to start heading towards land here. So he's headed towards Coogee Beach and he's paddling and then the fins like popped up like probably, and it was a big fin. Not a dolphin fin. Not a dolphin fin. And it was kind of following him and it was probably about 20 metres from him. And he was like, okay, this is, so he starts screaming at the fin. No, 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 sorry, he hadn't started screaming yet. He starts paddling a little bit faster. And then you know when you pull through on the water and it feels all of a sudden, all of a sudden feels really shallow? Yes. He reckons he's pulled through, looked down, and the thing was underneath him traveling next to him and he's going get away and he starts screaming and he's going get away from me anyway and he's um and he's going please god and he was praying to everything and uh he reckons he got probably within about 200 meters from the shore and he just and he didn't see it again and he said no that's it and packed it up and said i'm not going out there ever again i don't think he has been out again since but imagine pulling through and it suddenly feels shallow and there's this thing under you absolutely right now here's that you just mentioned something very interesting when you pull through does it feel shallow because you know it's shallow or does it feel shallow because you, we actually have the ability to sense space around us? I think, I think that's the thing that's out of it, our yeah. skin, which we might not be giving ourselves credit for. Yeah. <laughs> that is such yeah. a heavy story, man. Well, mate, I said if that had happened to me, like that's another reason why I like being on the stand-up now because it's just it, it, there's none of you in the water. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Unless you fall off and, mate, I get up so quick. I'm like – Lightning. <laughs> Rudy, it's been so amazing to have you chat. Next time we talk, we're going to have to talk about your photography because okay. I know you're a passionate photographer. And I just wish I had time for it now. Oh, mate. Look, it's, it's got so it's, much dust on it, the camera. There's, there's, so much, uh, there's so much to talk to you about. And I'm really grateful you made time for this, man. For no, this. thank you. You're, you're, like <laughs> I said, you're one of these guys that's on this, this incredible team of men that just – you are, for me – and I say this to anyone that asks me about the lifeguards down at Bondi. I'm like, they are what it is. They are Australia and what it is to be Australian in one little crew of humans because they are they poke the fun at each other a little bit, uh, but just enough to get over the the ups and downs and the sadness. Because the way you guys work and the way you just and there's people walking around now with a great story about how they were dead once. Yeah. Because of you guys. Yeah, it's, it's pretty it's, it's pretty, amazing. Yeah, man. we're lucky to get the opportunity, I think. It's you're, good. You're it's a good fun. Man, Andrew Reed. Good luck in Las <laughs> Vegas, you. man. Stay away from those poker tables. I will. Thank you very much. <laughs> so there he is, 
Reedy, Andrew Reed. Follow him on Twitter at Reedy, R-E-I-D-Y, underscore, underscore. Two underscores. He's an uncommon man. I certainly hope you enjoyed that. If you didn't, if you did, let me know. Go to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast. Let me know your thoughts. Let me know your comments. Rate it. Tell me you don't like it. If you sit there and say, this sucks, and you don't tell me, I won't change it. So there you go. Tell me. I'll change it. I'm making it for you. I mean, really. I'm not making it for myself. Or am I? I have to think about that before I get back to you. <laughs> for more information about the podcast, osherginsburg.com. Uh, Follow me on Twitter, at osherginsburg. A big thank you to at Toehider for the music. Um, he's ace. Now I'm just kind of dreaming of Bondi Beach. Body surfing in the south corner, surfing in the middle break with Dave, floating around on a lilo off the North Rocks at Ben Bakalaga by Instagram Mountain, formerly known as Facebook Hill. <laughs> oh, I love you, Bondi. I miss you. Venice Beach is not the same. No way. <laughs> Have an excellent week. Thank you so much for listening. You're bloody awesome. Um, Yeah, man, I've got a lot of love for you for even being here. So thank you. Bye. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.